Hello listeners, my name is Dr. Jody Madiri, and I'm a board-certified psychiatrist, a former TV producer, and your host of this podcast entitled The Telepsychiatrist. In each episode, you'll get a front row seat to interviews with patients and experts to help you better understand the psychiatric experience. Whether you're a healthcare provider, patient, or simply curious, stick around for the challenges and victories in mental health. Now, here's this week's interview. So today I am in Cartagena, Colombia, and I have a very special guest. All my guests are special. (laughs) But today I have Nora Ayola, who has agreed to meet with me to discuss mental health in Colombia. Welcome, Nora. Thank you, Yodi, for having me here. I'm so excited to spend the next, I don't know, hour talking (laughs) about mental health in Colombia. This is one of my passions, and thank you for the opportunity to spread the word about what we are doing down here. Anytime, I'm so happy to have you. I I often introduce our guests, but your background is so diverse and so interesting. I'm gonna put you on the spot and have (laughs) you tell me all about yourself. Well, thank you for that. Well, I should start from Cartagena, born and raised here. I attended medical school here in Cartagena to Universidad del Sinu who has been an amazing alma mater. Thanks to them and uh, to other people who were involved in my development as, as a practitioner in, in health, I got one of the highest score in a national standard test for young doctors. And this was really a huge thing because traditionally the Caribbean is not one of the best scores in that type of test. Um, then, after I just graduated from the university, I got a scholarship for the ICRT, that's the Introduction to Clinical Research Training with Harvard University. I got graduated from the ICRT, I began to do uh, research. Thanks to the ICRT, I got to connect with amazing scientists around the world, including Dr. Sadek Kurashi, who shout out to Dr. Sadek if you're listening to this. Uh, thanks to his mentorship, I got to lead a team of scientists into uh, doing research on COVID-19 and uh, proposing a new treatment for it. It got uh, published on inflammation research. Uh, It was a great start. And afterwards, I got to connect to Pumas, which is populations underrepresented in mental health studies. It's a a collaboration between UCLA, Universidad de Antioquia, CEMIC, and other uh, people around the globe. Tell our listeners what CEMIC is. CEMIC is a a mental health clinic here in Cartagena. It was the first one to be established in 2001. We tried to erase a little bit of that line between mental health and who are us as humans. So CEMIC uh, was established in 2001 and we have grown exponentially. Right now, we are the biggest and we have we are the only one in the whole department to have a meditation room. So we try to work with communities through online uh, platforms to teach people about mental health. I'm the assistant science director and my role is to work with psychiatrists and psychologists to create better attention for the people who are here with us and also to create more scientific content 
and make sure everybody's on the same boat about academics. Uh, actually, it's a family business. So since I was like seven, I was working here. So to, to recapture that for the audience, Dr. Nora is pretty badass. <laughs> she's got a medical degree. She's got research under her belt. She's an assistant director of a flourishing clinic. And she's also um, part of some really cutting edge research for COVID treatment. So it's funny, when I told um, some friends and family that I was coming to Colombia to visit, to have you know a vacation or a holiday, I can say 99% of them said to me, oh, it's very, very violent there, or they mentioned you know illicit drug use. Where does Colombia get this reputation from? As a Colombian, I can tell this is absolutely true. Whenever uh, someone tells their family or friends they're coming down here, the first reaction is, please don't go, you're gonna die. Right? There is no security. You have a established government. Um, somebody's going to, to, I don't know, rob you on the street. And that's what people think about Colombia in a lot of places. Because on the past, not the present, we had the, that kind of violence on the streets. It was due to an uh, internal revolution and uh, civil war upon the military and two groups that had different opinions about how politics should run in the country. And this was fueled because of the petroleum and all what we have here. Colombia is one of the most biodiverse countries in the world. We have emeralds, we have gold, we have uh, weird animals that people want as pets. So all of these economics of the black market fuel a lot of these uh, disputes. And then it got worse because people discovered that the very fertile land of Colombia was really good for planting other type of stuff, like for example, uh, cocaine plants and marijuana. And it became more like a territory feud than actually a political feud. But there were a lot of people who got caught in this crossfire. And as a war, it left a lot of scars in people's mental health. So it does have an impact and it has shaped who we are now. But we are proud of Colombia. It's amazing how the same people who were once destroyed by this war are now reinventing themselves and we have big dreams. Several years ago, it was estimated that 12% of the population has been displaced, so about 5.7 million. And 39% of those internally displaced persons or IDPs were 15 years old or younger. With the violent history over the last 50, 60 years, how has that affected the population today? So this revolution, this civil war that was fought on our lands had a lot of impact because we were raised with fear. Fear to uh, get killed, fear to lose a family member, fear of losing your home. And for some people, it was not only fear, but a reality. Some people got uh, displaced and became refugees due to this uh, civil war. They had to move to the big cities. Some people lost contact with their families, lost all they had. And not only this, I'm talking about civilians, but also the people who were involved, people who fought the war, had PTSD and all these type of syndromes associated to fighting into a war and seeing these horrible images that nobody should ever see in their life. 
So a lot of people lost their homes and lost an identity of who they are. And a lot of people became scarred mentally due to the war. So mental health has become central because we know the impact. Actually, in Semik, we have history with that. When we were a young clinic, just fresh to the, to the people, we got a contract with the naval base to receive all the soldiers who had been in active combat and who had PTSD. And there was nowhere to place them because we didn't have the infrastructure to aid them in any way. So they were struggling with PTSD They couldn't get back home because they were somehow uh, dangerous, because they had training and they were having flashbacks. And we got this contract and we had them here and it was amazing. We grew as a, as a clinic, it helped us a lot because we really got to understand what were the needs of the people. For me, it was beautiful. I was really tiny, but I was still involved here in the clinic. And we got to spend Christmases with the soldiers. and. Many of them got better because they received mental health and a companion and whatever treatment they needed. And they got to get back home to their families and now they're flourishing, they're reinventing themselves. And yes, we do have this history and it was something terrible, but we have learned to live with it. And every day we're developing new strategies to cope with what we have. And it's not a secret that everybody who has been uh, impacted have some sort of trauma because of it, but not necessarily everybody has become uh, deceased because of it. We have learned to forgive, which is really important to us as Colombians. And after the conflict got more at peace, we got to develop all these new strategies for the veterans. And because of that, or mental health got to flourish. And that's what we're seeing now, like a really rich environment where different trends are uh, available and different strategies are available. The other important thing I would like to bring up is that 90% of Colombia's psychiatrists serve the top 10 cities in Colombia. And there's estimated, you know, maybe a thousand psychiatrists in the country. So rurally, things are really struggling. Can you speak to that issue? Yes, of course, this is a reality because as I have said before, Colombia is so biodiverse. We have a lot of plants, animals, rural areas, jungle. And so it's hard for those people to get access to uh, mental health. It's hard because we don't have a lot of internal roads that go into these little towns because we have small population towns. Uh, there is a project right now for a train that will go through the whole coast and that will make access to everything easier. So now that the conflict has come to a peace, we can now fund and, and develop these roads. But I don't know, uh, I always like to look at the silver lining. One of the silver linings of COVID is that it has democratized Zoom and Skype and all these platforms for online video chat. And now the psychiatrists here are doing that a lot more. We're getting there. We're getting there. Now you're talking my, my stuff here. <laughs> um, as a, I was just about to bring up with you, if you started to use telepsychiatry to reach out to those populations. So that's 
really nice to hear that that's coming along. Yes, there is a lot of projects for apps and stuff like that. As I told you, we're becoming this hub for, I don't know, I could say like the new digital universe. Getting access to those resources is getting a lot easier. Excellent. Um, do you notice that there is a substance abuse problem? We in Colombia have a substance abuse problems like any country. The drugs here are very cheap. We used to be a really healthy population. The drugs became popular around the 80s with marijuana. That's when people started to grow in it. And from there, drugs have become uh, very easily accessed. I'm curious, do you find that there's a place for marijuana in mental health treatment? We are big producers, so why not uh, give it a go? Uh, marijuana is very complex because we need uh, technology to really extract the compounds that could work for mental health and keep them away from the other compounds that could induce a psychosis. From our experience here in Samik, we have definitely seen a spike in mental health issues similar to schizophrenia due to the use of a certain type of cannabis that's really strong. So we have teenagers coming here who had apparently no mental health issues, no issues in their family, and having to have been hospitalized because they are having a psychotic break, and this is going on for a lot of times, several times. So definitely we, we could talk about a space, but I don't think now is the time. I think we're still pretty behind on that. I agree with you that right now we don't have the evidence to support it. And so I just want to make it clear, you know, just because alcohol is legal and because now the movement is legalizing marijuana, this doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to improve your mental health, your anxiety, and quite often it does the reverse. Totally agree, Julia. In America, we have a very small chapter of our book, our DSM-5 books, that we call Culture-Bound Syndromes. I'd love to know what are things that happen here that are exclusive to this region and not necessarily outside of Colombia or Latin America. Well, I could reflect on that and I'll tell you that Sufre los Nervios is one of the biggest. When someone sufre los nervios, is like a euphemism for the having some mental health complications. And uh, grandmothers will say like, hi, don't bother your tia, she suffers from the nervios. And you had to understand that your tia was different <laughs> or, or something like that. So, so we have to use this cultural figure of mysticity and, and, and use it to, to talk to people because it's very accepted that people suffer los nervios and it's a real condition that people suffer los nervios. What I've heard before in other countries where I've done interviews is that you have to more incorporate the tradition with the modern. Is that what you're finding here as well? Yes. Colombians are very happy people. We love coffee, but we also love religion. And we are, remember, we were colonized by conquistadores, Spanish conquistadores, and we were forced to believe in Catholicism. So uh, Catholicism is a big thing but it was mixed with undertones of other cultural things. We have also slaves that migrated from all parts of Africa. So we mixed the Yoruba and the Catholicism and we created our own deities. And I'm not going to say 
that demonic possessions don't exist. That's not my place. But in Colombia, many times people who suffer from mental health are called that they're being possessed. So it's hard to work with a family who don't understand mental health as something that comes from inside, but something that comes from the outside. And uh, there are people who uh, get rich because they create rituals and they will bathe you in some special plants and they will cure your mental health with that. So when we talk to, to people in the community who are not familiarized with it, we have to explain what really mental health is and how we're going to help the person. And then we are pressed against time sometimes, but we have found that it's a combination. And by talking to us, they become involved in the mental health of the patient. Maybe we have a priest come to us and be involved in the, in the mental health of the patient or have this uh, really big lady from the Church of Christianity come down here and be as if it was part of the family of the patient. And many times the patient gets better because we work together, the, the, the traditions and the mental health. Sometimes and in special occasions, we have to say, no, it is not possible to, to mix these two because they have beliefs that go against uh, what we're doing here and we have to, to detain them, which is hard for us. We always prefer to work with the community whenever we're trying to make it better for someone who is really struggling with mental issues. So it's hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit how healthcare and health insurance works or does not work for yeah. mental health? In Colombia, as I have told you, there's a big disparity between the people who have access to health that they can pay and people who don't have access to health because they can't pay. So the government uh, came up with a plan, with an idea that has worked so far amazingly, that's that on the taxes of people who have access to economical uh, care, of people who have a salary, you can begin to have taxes and this money that comes from the taxes get distributed between some insurance agencies and these insurance agencies with that money have to cover everything that is stipulated for these people in the treatment. It's, it, it works really well. Of course, like in every country who's struggling, sometimes appointments get delayed, but thanks to this, everybody who is Colombian is assured that they will receive at least emergency medical care. It is not perfect. <laughs> it is not perfect. We have tons of issues with it. It's a work in progress and I don't know, we're still figuring it out, but it's a good initiative and it's better than not having access to healthcare because clinics and hospitals in Colombia are private. So you, you see where I'm going. So it's hard to demonstrate the value of psychotherapy or the value of, of any psychiatric drug. People get their drugs, but sometimes you don't have uh, the liberties as a psychiatrist to determine what medicine exactly should your patient take because if it, it's not covered, you cannot give it to them because then they will have it to pay it under on their own cost and it's hard. But if it's covered, then you can prescribe it, of course. 
You're a fascinating human being, really. Um, tell me about your early starts. You mentioned that this was a family business. My background about mental health is, for me, is the norm. My dad is a psychiatrist, and my older sister is a psychiatrist, my cousin is a psychiatrist, and now you get the idea. And since I was little, my dad has always talked to me as I was a colleague, like, no restraints. <laughs> My dad had always dreamed about a place where people could go and rest and get better and get a really good standard of care. And my mom was like, let's do it. Like, <laughs> and that's where Semik came into it. And uh, since 2001, I was seven years old when Semik was born. And I have learned to love it and take care of it. And through this experience, I have come to see firsthand Many things that people don't come to see until they're really later in their uh, mental health careers. So I think I'm very lucky, very fortunate for that. Uh, my mom is like the financial brain behind the week. And uh, she has always gave me also lessons on finance and administration. So I have known Samik inside out <laughs> the whole time from what we spend in a day to how uh, EPSs pay us to how my dad carries his private uh, consoles and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a family business. Some cousins work here, some aunts work here. It's amazing because we believe in love. I know it's kind of cheesy, but we believe in giving love to everybody. So by being a family business, we try to put our signature there, like we are really loving family and we're just trying to spread it through our services because we try to give the best service we can and we try to be the most lovable persons we can be with the persons we connect through Semik. It's a blessing and I have always loved mental health and my dad, I can remember when I was little, we were sitting at the table and my mom and my dad were talking about Samik and yeah, and bipolar disorder type 1 is different from bipolar disorder type 2. Remember that next time that you're seeing with an EPS and you're, you're discussing that. My mom like, I know that, I have known it for a long time. Just regular dinner yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now you get an idea. Right, right. Yeah. Has there been any challenges for you? One in every four people will get somehow a, a disease or a... a mental health issue during their lifetime according to the World Health Organization. So it touches everybody. Coming from a family of mental health and coming from a family who has been so present and so centered in the academic and, and social because we have been the ones who have told people in Cartagena, you know, mental health happens for everybody basically in their family. And sometimes people who have come in contact with my parents could have been enraged by the fact that they dare to speak about mental health publicly. So even as a young person in medicine, I had fingers pointing at me from the beginning. So. Yeah, it, it has made me, I think, a better clinician and a better doctor because eyes on you. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's a big responsibility. Yeah, it sounds like you did have some big shoes to fill and that can bring on some pressure and also standing up for mental health in a place where there's still stigma attached can, can be challenging as well. Yeah, I, I didn't chose to be a mental health advocate 
mental health chose me to be an advocate. <laughs> I say the very same thing about myself. It's very funny. Tell me a little bit about Puma. Okay, Pumas is an international collaboration between UCLA, Universidad de Antioquia, and CENIC. And we are so proud of it because, as, as I have been telling you this whole time, Colombia is getting there, but we're not there quite yet. So, Pumas is an opportunity for mental research in the Caribbean to expand. We are the biggest project on mental health research done in Cartagena so far. Amazing. Yeah. And, and we're very proud of it, but we're also very scared <laughs> because it's a big, big responsibility. So we're working closely with uh, a big team in UCLA, a big international collaboration, but thankfully it has been an amazing experience and it has been actually pretty easy so far to communicate with everybody and we're on the same page. There's a lot of clarity on what we are doing and where we are going. So it's amazing. You know, if I could summarize everything we've talked about today in, in one small paragraph, it's that progress is on the horizon progress in Colombia, progress with this clinic. Um, it really feels like an up-and-coming positive vibe, almost like yourself. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like the audience to know? Come to Colombia. The only risk is that you will want to stay. We have Gabriel Garcia Marquez, that is the novel of literature. We have Dr. Manuel Elkin Patarroyo, who's a great scientist. We have Shakira, if you love dance and music. We have Jaime Rodriguez, if you love soccer, and we have coffee. We're really proud, and it's hard to transmit that to people, but Colombia has become not only a tourism hub, we have cruises that depart from Miami and cross through Cartagena, and uh, we have tourism coming from everywhere. We have direct flights to uh, Miami, to Amsterdam, with KLM. Uh, we have become really diverse, but we are also becoming a hub for science. We are in Medellin, they're doing crazy stuff with cryptocurrency. And so one of our big dreams is to become a country where people are going to say, are you traveling to Colombia? And people would answer with, you're going to dance and you're going to have food and people will hug you in the streets because that's really who we are. You've been listening to The Telepsychiatrist, a podcast designed to demystify and humanize the psychiatric experience. Head over to our website at thetelepsychiatrist.org to subscribe, join our newsletter, and give feedback where we guarantee a reply to each message received. Thank you for joining The Telepsychiatrist. This is Dr. Jody Medeiros signing off. See you next show.